It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! It's one out. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to A's Cast Live. As we're getting you ready for game two of the athletics and the Boston Red Sox. I have just printed out my game notes, and I see something in these game notes today that, I don't know, should I be shocked by this? I'm not so sure. By the way, we're at 2.15. Steve Ketman is going to join us. He used to cover the A's, and he's doing a book on Pedro Gomez. Uh, Cody, explain that. you got a better grasp than I do. Yeah, so Steve Kevin used to cover the A's for the Chronicle back in the 90s. And Ken Korak actually uh, turned me on to Steve saying that he's writing a book about Pedro Gomez, which I thought was fitting this week because Pedro's son plays for the Red Sox in the Red Sox farm system. I remember they interviewed him during a spring training game after Pedro's unfortunate passing. So, you know, Pedro being a former A's beat writer working in the Bay Area, Steve probably, you know, Steve knew him, so he's writing a book about him, but – he also wrote books on Sandy Alderson and about changing baseball at the Mets and the A's and, and Fenway Park. So it's going to be a, you know interesting conversation here about Pedro Gomez and stories about that. So, how how much baseball has uh, Sandy changed while being with the Mets? Uh, well, a lot. Um, the Mets are playing better right now, by the way. What uh, what, what 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 what? How many World Series titles has he uh, uh, since? Well, he he won one with the A's, and then uh, well, um, he won two a World Series with. Matt Harvey in the the Dark Knight. By the way, the back, Dark Knight back in New York today had a fight back tears pitching on the mound before the Mets shelled him on the mound when he pitching for the Orioles. Had to fight back tears. Okay, and then we're gonna have Ray Fossey at two thirty. It's a Wednesday, so it's a Fossey day. All right, I'm gonna read you this, and I'm not sure you buy this, but obviously it's got to be true. You know, I watch every inning of every game. Would you say that this A's team, off to no doubt a great start, tied for one of the best records in baseball? Let me check. Because yesterday, I think the Cardinals and the Giants had a better winning percentage. So the Red Sox and the A's are at 595. Well, the Chai Sox now to 606. Uh, 6-11 for the Cardinals and 6-11 for the Giants. So the second best record in the American League. They're 22-25. and 25. So when I read you this, clutch hitting has propelled the A's. 
Would you, watching this team, ever think about them being a clutch hitting team? Um, I mean, they have clutch home runs, but clutch hits? Um, I don't think of that coming from this is what – last night was only their second win, I think, all year where they didn't hit a home run. So, well, they're 9-3 they're, they're and three in one-run games, which is pretty darn good. But they are first in the American League, third in Major League Baseball, with an OPS of 801, which is really good, in high-leverage spots. So their slugging and their on-base percentage combined is 801 in what you would call high-leverage spots. Only the Giants at 811 and the Braves at – no, Giants are at 818 and the Braves are at 811 are better than the A's in high-leverage spots. I saw that, and I immediately got the highlighter out and uh, and had to bring that to the show today. Because if you, you – why watching it, I would not say that's the case. Maybe it, maybe I don't Maybe I don't know what I'm watching. But in high leverage situations, A's are pretty good. Yeah, they've seemed to come through. And, like, we're so used to them hitting big, you know, walk-off home runs or go-ahead home runs. We're not used to the 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 go-ahead run or go-ahead hit the other way that we've been seeing. And we saw it last night, and it's evidence. I said they've only that was only their second win all year without a home run. They're, what, 20-8 and eight when they hit a home run, and I think they're 2-7 and seven when they don't. So Remember, when, uh, remember when, when there was a little bit of panic in the fan base? when Tommy LaStella signed with the Giants, that he wasn't remaining with the A's? I'll give you another one. Jed Lowry is batting 500 with runners in scoring position, tied with Kyle Seeger for the Major League Baseball lead. You got to have a minimum of 20 plate appearances. 500. Jed is 12 for 30 with four doubles, five RBIs, and the last eight games. That's a 400 batting average. Do you realize how good Jed Lowry has been for the Oakland A's since he's come back? You know, we we, we talked about Alex Cora, and it just seems like he never left the Boston Red Sox. You know, took his punishment for a year, came back, and obviously they're having a great year under him. It's like he never left. Same thing with Jed Lowry. Like, it's hard to, like, even think that Jed was gone. Jed was not with us the past couple years. Hitting 500 with runners in scoring position, and he didn't play baseball for two years. If that's not amazing, I mean, come on. I mean, Cody, you got to look at that and be like, you you can't give me anybody else for comeback player of the year right now. If you don't know that Jed should be the comeback player of the year, then essentially you're not paying attention to baseball. Yeah, it's it's going to be a really close race, I think, in that category. Um, the Trey Mancini one is interesting. I mean, the the Colin Cants, but he's also having a decent year, power wise and RBI wise. And the Orioles aren't very good. And uh, our 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 guy that we but rag did miss two years. Yeah, that's true. How about a guy missed two year two years? And then the other guy that people are going to clamor for is Buster Posey, who's having he has eight home runs already. But he had, well, you can put him in the Ameri- You can put him in the yeah, National League. We'll, but yeah. We'll, we'll, I mean, we'll put Jed in the American League. Trey Mancini is going to be hard to beat. I understand. Uh, Mitch Hanniger Lee is like tied for the league leading home runs. But yeah, Jed Lowry is the guy right now. I mean, he leads the A's in the batting average. He's hitting two seventy four. It's the highest average on the team. He hasn't played in two years. 
it just shows you that he still, I mean, New York, this wasn't a good fit for him. He comes back. He loves playing in Oakland, as we all know. And here he is. In, I mean, he went through a stretch where he was what? Was it like four for 44? And then he had like three, he had like three games in a row where he had like three hits or more in a game. Like it's, the guy doesn't slump for long. And that's what a good hitter does. Good hitters don't stay down for long. And he's been the most consistent hitter for the A's all season so far. Uh, remember when you said batting average didn't matter? Uh, I, I believe Darren Bush said that too. Uh, remember when you said that? The A's have won six of their last nine games. Why? Because they're hitting with runners in scoring position. Do you know what their average is with hitters and running with uh, with uh, runners in scoring position? You know what their average is? Over those last game. Uh, yeah, last nine. Three twenty-five. Three forty-six. Okay, See what happens when you hit. You score runs. Yeah, and they're Isn't not amazing. And not relying on the home run too. That's that's also a good thing. Now, last night's game. I mean, to to me, a game like last night is that that's how you win playoff games. You know, you you, you hope your starter gives you some innings. Bassett was phenomenal. Seven innings, two runs, struck out ten, and then you give it to a bullpen. Who, by the way. The A's relievers have allowed one run in 10 and third innings over the last four games. Where the Red Sox bullpen, they've been terrible. So it's like if you can get some innings, you know, James Caprellian, if you can get some innings off of him today, I mean, he's pitched for what, one game so far this year? Down for Fran Reardon and the Las Vegas Aviators, who, by the way, have gotten hot. Yeah, they're, they're playing well. Chad Pinner with the home run last night. Taking on uh, Sacramento, the River Cats, in uh, six. You know, a six-game series, at what point do, does, like, emotions flare up in a six-game series? Well, I mean, you got I mean, two. At some, point, at some point, you get tired of playing each other. Yeah, and that's, they're going to be playing six-game series all year long. So, oh. and, it's not the, and this isn't the only time that Sacramento is going to see Vegas, so. Uh, we'll have to talk to Fran. You know, we'll, we talk. You and I talked about having Fran on maybe once a month. We'll have to talk to Fran about what's it the like. Fram- Framimal. Yeah, the uh, the great the manager of the greatest offensive team ever. What's it like managing six game series against the same? Like that's just it's wild. But yeah, it was nice to see Caprelli get called up. This is his first major league start. He's twenty seven years old. We're finally going to get to see him start a game after coming over in the Sunny Gray trade. What he's the only guy left, right? Mateo's gone. Uh, Fowler's gone. So, yeah, he's the only guy left from the Sunny Gray it's, trade. It's, it's, it's like most trades we've seen. Yeah. They're all gone. Not one guy left from the Donaldson trade. One guy left from the Sunny Gray trade. That's the thing with trades, man. You just you, you have no idea. You know the trade, the, the, the Rich Hill and Josh Reddick, you still have Frankie Montas, and you still have Grant Holmes. Yes. Was was there another player in that deal too? I think there was. I'm trying to think. Like, who was the other player in that trade? Oh, um, Jarrell Cotton. Yeah, Cotton. That's right. We talked about that with the great Mickey Morbido last time we were at the yeah. Coliseum. And I, I don't even know where. I have no idea where Cotton is to this day. Do you know where he is? He was like most recently. I think he was with the Cubs last year. But I'm gonna look, pull him up right now. I don't think he's with. He was, a, you know, he was a really nice kid. I liked him a lot. He just, he just couldn't stay healthy. He's with the Rangers, according to Baseball Reference. He's in their Rangers system. 
I mean, to, to watch what Jed's doing is is just it's it, it's amazing, and you know they still have you know high hopes for for uh, Caprellian. They still have. They think he they think he can be in the rotation. I mean, all we saw. I mean, we, we I think last, it was last year we saw him against the Giants when fellow UCLA Bruin Brandon Crawford took him deep. Correct. Yeah, the alum did him dirty. There at uh, that bandbox, Oracle Park. But the A's won all the all four. Didn't they like sweep like a four game set against them? Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I, I remember that. I remember Caprellian coming into the pitch that game, and then I remember the Crawford home run because he only pitched in two games last year. That's why the the seven three the seven three six ERA is a bit inflated. But you can't really put too much into that because he he didn't pitch that didn't pitch many innings. But I think he only had I've I've written that he only pitched in last year. He only appeared in two games. So four strikeouts, two walks, two home runs allowed in the seven three six ERA. And he's just been basically living at the alternate site for last season, the start of this season. And how about that? Here you go. You're going to make your debut in one of the toughest parks to pitch in, Fenway Park. And he's going up against Eduardo Rodriguez, who's 5-0 and with a 3.82 ERA. Let's get it on. You know, you like to you like to kind of even though it's early, you kind of like to size up. You know, how good are you? And I talked with Ken Korak about this last night, Cody. It, it's kind of nice, like now being done with the Rays. Now after this, we'll be done with Fenway Park. You know, places that have really given you trouble in the past, you've done well. And you move on, and you don't got to deal with these guys again on the road. You know, I like the fact we don't got to go back to Baltimore. We don't have to go back to Boston. We don't have to go back to Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, this has been a, a weird stretch of taking on all these ALEs teams, but it's kind of nice getting, you know, the road part of these series off the schedule, and you don't have to worry about it going forward. Yeah, I mean, I mean don't get me wrong. I'm kind of excited to see the Ace play in Buffalo. Uh, <laughs> we go play the Jays. Uh, that's going to be Buffalo ex- Jays. Yeah, because remember what? It's June 1st. They're going to be back playing in Toronto. So are they going to be back playing in uh, Buffalo? The Jays are because they're in Dunedin, Florida until the end of the month. And they go back to to Buffalo. Then you got a trip to Yankee Stadium, which I don't th- I forget that doesn't come till later in the season. So, yeah, you're right. I'm glad that the, those um, series are out of the way. And I was listening to Buster's podcast earlier. I wanted to see if he talked about the A's and Red Sox at all, because they're the two best teams in the American League. No, no mention of the A's or the Red Yankees. Sox. Yankees, Yankees, because they're playing well. Because Otani pitched and played, in the, and he came, went and played in right field. And another Angels loss, the last, the worst team in the American League West, the Angels. Uh, he talked about Detroit's come, Detroit blowing a seven-run lead and then winning an, on a walk-off. It's like th- they have like eleven wins. Who cares? So uh, it was, just, I was a little. And then they were talking about how the Angels still have a chance to come back. Him and Carl Ravitch. The Angels still have a chance to come back in the AL West. I think the Astros are the best team. The Mariners, even though they're getting Kelnick called up, they're 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 still not there yet. No mention of the A's by Carl Ravitch. He still thinks Houston's the best team in the division. Yeah, he goes. I think Houston's the best team in that division. Once they soon, you know, they're, they're going to start getting guys back, and I still think they're the most talented and the best team. The only way the A's can make headlines is to talk about moving the team. And they talked about that in the podcast. The very they end. did, yes. Him and Carl Ravitz. They, they talked about how he pretty much said that it's embarrassing that they can't get a, the stadium situation done in Oakland, 
and that and then they talked about like the places it could be and and uh Buster pretty much said he thinks Nashville's going to get a team within within the next 5 years. So the next 5 years he thinks Nashville will have a uh, a major league baseball team. Uh I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think Nashville is a great spot to put a baseball team. Um, but you're not going to you're not you're not going to move a West Coast team. No, then. not at all. You're going to you're going to have an expansion. Now you got to cuz then all of a sudden you have to start realigning. Yeah. They don't want to realign. Yeah. So they've got to figure out I mean, if he says it's embarrassing, well, you're a little late to the party. We've been dealing with this for how many years? Yeah. Well, we can ask. Right. Steve. Oh, 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 now it's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, we hey, we can ask Steve Ketman about. It. I'm going to call him. He, he covered the A's. He knows all about stadium, the stadium back then. Yeah. I mean, what what years did he cover the team? It was like the late '90s, so like '95 to '99, somewhere around there. I want to say. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. We've all dealt with this. Yeah. Let me. I mean, this has been going on since forever. Now it's embarrassing. It just goes to show the East Coast people just they they have no clue. They literally have no clue of what's going on out here. Yeah, I just tried calling him by the way, and, and it's not letting me dial to him. I think he might have the num- like spam calls blocked because of Google Meet. So I'm going to send him the number to call us. You know, Pedro Gomez. I mean, he he was just such a wonderful man, and. It, Steve has done a book of essays on the life of Pedro Gomez. And obviously, wherever Pedro went, he was loved. And my relationship with him started when I was on the morning show on KMBR and obviously being the giant station. And it was the giant, it was uh, the Barry Bonds watch. I mean, you want to talk about a tough beat. Dealing with just Barry Bonds every day. And at a time when everybody wants to hear from Barry. And Barry doesn't want to deal with you. No, if you want, you want, you want something consistent. Barry Bonds was consistent. And he was consistent about not being nice. He was tough to deal with. I will never forget. He had that elbow surgery. It's when the steroids first started to affect him and having some health issues. And he's by himself in the clubhouse at Candlestick Park. At the time, my partner was Larry Kruger, who's still on KMBR. And I said, let's go over and ask him for an interview. I mean, he's not playing. Nobody's in. I mean, there's not a soul in the clubhouse. Go over and ask Barry for an interview. He doesn't even look up from his locker and just says, when I'm out, I'm out. Okay. Nice talking to you. (laughs) I mean, he wouldn't even look at you. I mean, Bonds was, Bonds was a, he was a peach. And Pedro had to deal with that. And luckily, Bonds had the respect for Pedro and obviously ESPN. But traveling around following Barry Bonds cannot, it, it cannot be easy. And that's, you know, I'll always respect Pedro for that. Steve, how are you? Chris Towns with the Oakland A's. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. I was just talking about when I first got to actually deal with Pedro Gomez was uh, back when I was doing the morning show on KMBR, and it was the Barry Bonds watch. 
and talking about how Pedro had to follow Bonds all around the country. And uh, following Barry Bonds and dealing with Barry Bonds every day, that's no easy task. Nah, that was tough. I mean, you know, even Dusty Baker will tell you about how how hard it could be uh, at times with Barry. Although, of course, Barry at times can be uh, amazingly, the, you know, the other way. But I think Pedro earned a lot of respect, uh, you know, in the Bay Area and then in the industry for the more than two years that he and his producer, Charlie Moynihan, spent on the Bonds beat. And, you know, Pedro and I had so many conversations about that where Pedro was just constantly trying to encourage Barry to show another side of him. He'd tell him, you know, you can talk about the Negro Leagues. You could talk about Neil. You can talk about absolutely anything you want. And Barry would always kind of just shake his head and say no. So it's a little sad in retrospect to think about because Barry could have helped himself so much with that. But Pedro, you know, he saw it through to the end. Whatever they asked him, he did it. And it was kind of incredible. Tell us why you decided to do this project. So, yeah, we're, we've got a book coming out uh, on the All-Star Game, July 13th, called Remember Who You Are, What Pedro Gomez Showed Us About Baseball and Life. And I guess it really started when just after Pedro died on February 7th, uh, I put up one of those, uh, what is it called, kudo board or something, where people could post different kinds of tributes. And I was just amazed at that and the social media, how... I mean, Pedro and I were, you know, he was one of my best friends for 25 years. We, you know, he was there at my wedding as practically a best man. We celebrated our 50th birthday together here in Santa Cruz and went on many trips together. You know, he was a great friend, but for so many people, thousands more, um, his loss really hit hard. I, uh, can I read you just one paragraph from my introduction to the book that I think uh, sums it up? Of course. So I wrote, Pedro's death jolted baseball the way it did, I think, because in his death, we all saw a thousand other deaths, our own, of course, for if a man so full of life and love could drop dead just like that, then of course, all of us can, but also the death of dreams, the death of those careening and gleeful enthusiasms of youth, the vertiginous feel of unlimited possibility, which baseball can and should evoke, at least in the heart of a true fan. That's powerful stuff. And and when someone passes away and so many people reach out and want to talk about that person, I think it tells a lot about who that person was because everywhere he went, whether it was in the A's community or whether it was down in Arizona or if it's nationally with ESPN, he, he touched people's lives and everybody loved the guy. And I think you saw that with his passing. Yeah. I mean, I'll, here's something that really hit me hard. And this is, you know, I'm a former A's beat writer for the Chronicle in the nineties going, going way back. But um, you think about the A's family and you think about two guys, AJ Hinch, who I know from covering him when he was with the A's. And of course, Ron Washington, who I know from his days as an A's coach, well, both of those guys are, are in this book, which is a collection of 62 personal essays by Hall of Famers, uh, Hall of Fame writers, seven different active managers in the game are all in there, including Tony La Russa and AJ uh, and, and former manager Ron Washington. And, you know, it was incredible, Tony, to talk 
where both AJ and Wash told almost the same story, which was they you're, you're on top of the world, you're managing in the World Series, and then just like that, you you know you fall from grace. Uh, obviously, in Wash's case, the cocaine stuff had resurfaced. Uh, in AJ's case, it was the sign stealing scandal. But in both of those cases, both of them were friends with Pedro. They considered he was a reporter. He was always going to do his professional duty, but he was also a friend and, and in his way, a good friend to both of them. And so he called each of them at that time. He you know, let them know he would love an interview for ESPN, but that he was also there just as a friend to talk. OK, that right there is kind of surprising in a business where so much of it is transactional, but where the story really gets amazing and people can read these in, in the book. Uh, where it really gets amazing is they each described Pedro giving them, call it tough love, but some of the best advice they'd ever had in their lives, which they both describe in very personal, painful detail. And I don't want to, you know, spoiler alert, I don't want to give it all away, but it's in the book. And, you know, I think that's an incredible testament to someone that they're such a consummate professional as a reporter which Pedro was, and I, I worked side by side with him. We were actually competitors for two and a half years. Um, so he, he was good at his job and knew he was and didn't have to run scared. Uh, he and I talked a lot about the difference between playing defense and playing offense. Pedro didn't believe in playing a lot of defense. He wasn't worried. He knew that he could, he could score points. And so he could listen to these guys and really be there for them at a really difficult time. And, and you know what? Give them give them fodder for really thinking and making some important personal decisions. I think that's a tremendous testament to who this man was. And the book comes out at the all-star break. Yeah, it'll be out in hardcover on July 13th. And, you know, ESPN will of course be given a lot of coverage on uh, sports center and everything. Mike Barnacle, the great columnist, uh, will be talking about it on morning Joe with MSNBC but then uh, people can actually get a look at it sooner if you're a reader of ebooks. The ebook version will be available for purchase on multiple platforms by June 10th. June 10th. So that's coming up. Well, you know, the other book I wanted to ask you about that you've done is the book on Sandy Alderson. And, you know, we've had Sandy on quite a few times on the program. He's got all these great stories. He talked about how, you know, it's like his job was trading for or trading Ricky Henderson. He did it so many times and they're just great. They're, they're just great stories. But you know, when you think of a baseball maverick, people don't think of Sandy that way. I mean, we talk about Billy Bean. We, we talk about Theo Epstein. Why do we not talk about Sandy Alderson like that? I wish I knew. I mean, you know, that was the title of the book. I mean, how Sandy Alderson revolutionized baseball and revived the Mets. And, you know, it was hilarious because the, the year it came out, I got ripped roundly, you know, for daring to say that, that, that Alderson had revived the Mets. I mean, uh, Will Leach, or if that's how you pronounce it, ripped me in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, well, of course, that was the year they went on to the, the World Series. You know? <laughs> so he had done pretty well. But there's a thing with Alderson where he, uh, he, he's, he's subtle at times. And he, he in the... In the 80s and 90s, when he was in his heyday as a young A's general manager, his kind of wit worked very well with writers who followed the team full time, really understood him. Because you have to listen carefully to Sandy about what he said and what he didn't say. 
Um, for people not paying attention, I think he comes across as they don't quite get him. Now, of course, he's got a hot team. Uh, you know, it's kind of amazing. Age, Giants, Mets all in first place as of this morning. Um, so he's got a hot team, and I think a lot of people are going to take a fresh look at him and sort of add up everything he's done. But you talk about Billy Bean. I, know I, was, I covered Billy when he was assistant general manager. Um, one thing, and remember who you are, the Pedro book is Tim Kirkjian has a great essay on the famous spring training basketball games including the one where Pedro was in it, I was in it, uh, Billy Bean was in it, and Sandy was in it. And Mike T. Giovanna of the LA Times said something to, pay, to Sandy like, at ease, soldier, not realizing he was a former Marine. And Alderson, you know, basically hip-checked him into the wall, which was like a cinder block wall. But, um, you know, that story has been told a lot, but it, it shows that fiery side of Sandy that kind of, I think people kind of lost sight of that over the years because it became to be seen as more of a, you know, an executive uh, close to plays things close to the vest. But he, he was so fiery, especially in those years that the doctor, you know, Alan Pott, the, the A's uh, doctor yeah. had to warn him, him and Wally Haas, that they, they couldn't continue to, you know, rant and rave and live and die with every pitch the way they were. I've heard about those legendary basketball games, and when I heard that Tim Kirchin actually's got a good jumper, I was shocked. Timmy is a great player. I I did not play with Timmy Kirchin, but every every ball writer I know who's played hoop with him says he's one of the best they've seen as as a <laughs> ball writer. Hey, let's end on this. And we were joking before you came on because you would know this. Uh, Carl Ravitch today, today on Buster Only's Paul uh, podcast just said it was embarrassing the whole Oakland and the stadium situation. And we're like, oh, you're just figuring out now it's embarrassing. I mean, even, even going back to when you were covering the team, we were talking about this. Well, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty funny. I think it was in March 97 that I had a headline in the Chronicle about that the A's had commissioned a feasibility study on going to Las Vegas. Now, that headline, that, that I didn't write the headline, and there was some small issue with it that set Alderson off, and he screamed at me for half an hour that day. I remember it well. But, yeah, I've been, I have been reporting on that for years. I mean, Mickey Morabito used to <laughs> – the, uh, the great Mickey Morabito used to give me a hard time, like, hey, Kevin, where you got us going this week? But I, I did a lot of reporting on that and wrote a big San Francisco Magazine uh, article later about it where Billy Bean talked about, you know, the toilets overflowing at the Coliseum every time there was a, you know, a rainstorm. But, you know, I've been watching this process nervously. Oh, I don't know what's going on. I'm sure you do. But I just I hope they get it sorted out and can stay in the Bay Area. That's what I want. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's a tough thing. I mean, someone who covered the team uh, years ago and we're 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 still dealing with the same issues and oh by the way steve the nba's walked out that door and the nfl has both walked out that door yep the door is wide open exactly and see i don't have the faith in the local government leaders to do what's necessary um as i think you know i write books on politics and sports those are my two areas i even know some uh you know bay area politicians and i'm not encouraged but i'm you know you never know and and Maybe uh, stranger things have happened than them getting it worked out. Let's say that. Hey, thank you so much for coming by. This was awesome. And then uh, let's hook up when, you, when, when the book finally comes out and we'll have you on again. Sounds good. You got it.
Thanks, Steve. Thank you. I mean, it's, I mean, it really is hard to believe that we're still dealing with this. But it's a reality, and it's and it's it's been a problem for a long, long time. And something has to give. I hate talking about it. I know you hate listening. I know a lot of you are sick to your stomachs, but it's just like at some point something's got to happen. There has to be some action. I told this story a long time ago how a very prominent person. In the press box, I had this conversation, and the conversation was, this is basically like a big boulder, and you have you have city leaders, politicians, who are barely pushing the boulder, barely pushing it, and then all of a sudden, they leave, and then the new group comes in, and they're just pushing it, and it's, just, it's been this cycle, and you've never moved the boulder far enough. And whenever you think you may have some progress, well, there's different city leaders and there's different politicians and new people come in and new mayors. I mean, how many mayors has Oakland been through, through this whole process? And no one's gotten it done? It's unbelievable. But more importantly, can we please please play the man's open? Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Good afternoon, Ray. Howdy, how you doing, buddy? How's Cody? Cody okay today? I'm great, Ray. It's uh, it's Yogi Bear. It would have been Yogi Bear's 91st birthday today. Isn't that isn't that oh. incredible? Yogi was great. Yogi was great. Still remember 1973 when he came running out of the dugout after the Bud Harrelson play and screaming and yelling at Augie Donatello that that he I didn't tag him and all that. And <laughs> Yogi Yogi was good. Yogi was perfect. I mean, he was, you know, he was a great catcher. I mean, he had a lot of matter of fact. Joe Gargiola and he grew up together in the Hill in St. Louis. And uh, Joe, you know, I mean, he he really lived off of some of the things that Yogi would say because Joe was, I mean, when you're going good, you're hosting Good Morning America, I guess you're, you had some intelligence, not that Yogi didn't, but Yogi had some of those sayings that uh, everybody wrote a book about it. So, but uh, Yogi was a great guy, great guy and uh, happy that uh, it would have been, what, 94 today, you said? Uh, 91, 91, if I'm not mistaken. It was 91, 91 he would have been today. Well, you know what? I can still remember 1956, Don Larson with the perfect game, Yogi running out and jumping into the arms of Don Larson. That's a, that's a forever sight because there's never been a perfect game other than that one in the World Series. And I would say the way things are going, Tony, there never will be. Well, Ray, you know, when you come to a fork in the road, you just take it. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, <laughs> but you know what? You're you're right. I mean, I mean, in all honesty, uh, yeah, it, it's just like I remember a broadcaster once saying, "There's a long drive to left field. It's either fair or foul." It is, you know. So, <laughs> you know, so it's uh, it's it's good though. But uh, Yogi was was a great person, a great player, and 
you know, just one of the great Yankees that forever uh, we, we will remember. Ray, I was oh, wrong. I mean, he was, 90, he was got, on 96. Got, there's some that are so hilarious. It's like, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got some yogiisms yeah. here. It's, uh, it's really good. Uh, you, you know, Ray, yeah. he didn't win a lot either. He only won 13 World Series titles. How about that? No, I, I knew there was a whole bunch. And uh, I remember talking to Frankie Corsetti uh, when he would come down from Stockton when the Yankees were in town. And Frankie had about 23 world championships, either as a player or a coach, you know. And I said, well, Frankie, what did you do? And he said, well, one time I took a ring. The other time I took a shotgun, took a watch, you know. So, I mean, he's taken all kinds of gifts instead of just the traditional world championship ring. I guess there were some options. But, uh, you know, there there were some great, great Yankees. And, you know, and it's still a franchise that everybody will always remember, no matter what part of the world you're in. You mentioned the New York Yankees, and, and that will come up, and especially somebody like Yogi Berra. You know, in your career, you know, it was unfortunate you never played in the National League, so uh, you, didn't get to go to, you, didn't, you didn't get to go to some of those classic parks. But well, I mean, what's it like when you play at Fenway Park? Well, let, let me ask you, first of all, before I talk about that, what, what are the classics are you talking about in the National League? Did you ever play at Wrigley? Never played there, but I've been there. But yeah. no, I never played there. But that was like the thing. You missed, you know, the, yeah, Wrigley well, Field. Yeah. Well, but Crosley Field in Cincinnati. I mean, Crosley Field. There, there have been three. I mean, we're talking about a new stadium in Oakland. It started in Crosley, and I remember playing an exhibition game there against the Reds. Um, and, and then, of course, went to Riverfront, and then now what is it, Great American Park or whatever it's called there now? But you know, so uh, but but Fenway Park. There's a lot. And you know what? Uh, a lot of people, and I, I know you were talking a little politics uh, prior to me coming on. I heard you a little bit talking about the um, new regime in Oakland. I remember when Jerry Brown was mayor, and I, I think the A's could have been like a 20th and Telegraph in downtown Oakland. There was a parcel of land big enough for a stadium, but a revitalized downtown. And from what I remember, this, the statement was, I don't like baseball. I'm going to go low-income low housing. Well, I mean, you, you think about everything that's transpired since then, and Jerry Brown was mayor a long time ago. But if, if you think about what Wrigley is and always will be, Fenway was and always will be, these are nostalgic states. These are, these are almost like um, historical sites in a sense because at Fenway, I know when we'd go in there, they keep adding seats. They added the seats in the Green Monster, and up in right field they added suites. Uh, Wrigley, of course, uh, the new, the, I think the Ricketts family bought all of those uh, rooftop seating areas beyond the outfield. And so, you know, they, they had that that they own and, and they renovated Wrigley Field. But, but those are old stadiums that you can talk about. But, you know, the Angel Stadium, Dodger Stadium, those probably, those four stadiums are the only ones remaining besides the Coliseum of which there has not been a new stadium built. Probably the other 25 county, I would think, all have new stadiums. Um, I mean, in the case of the Rangers, they had one in 93, and they just opened another new one. You know, so, you know and, and the one they moved out of was perfect, except it didn't have a roof on it. But, um, you know, Fenway Park is, is always great going there. And, and I saw what Chris Bassett said about his outing. And, you know, we were talking in the broadcast about against um, – J.D. Martinez, when, when he threw the two wild pitches, had him on two, and he, as he said, yanked two pitches. And, and I said on the air, I said, if he throws him another 
cutter slider, but has the plate, you probably strike him out, fool him. Because after two wild pitches like that, as a hitter, you're thinking he's not going to throw anything except the fastball. And J.D. Martinez hit a sack fly to right field, and he, and he scored Verdugo. And, uh, and next thing you know, it's a one or nothing game. But, but after that, Bassett settled down, retired 15 in a row because he had never faced the Red Sox, never had an appearance against them. As he said, I went to Fenway, but never pitched against them. And believe me, if it's the first time that you've done something, you're on that mound. And that's what I said about Caprillion, who's starting tonight. And I said, he should be running to the bullpen or walking to the bullpen and taking in the sights and the sounds of Fenway Park last night before taking the mound tonight. Because typically, a pitcher will stay in the clubhouse, put I, I usually heat on his arm, and then go out 30 minutes before the game and start getting loose. Well, if that is his first appearance, walking from the dugout to the bullpen at Fenway Park, it's going to be something that's going to be overwhelming for him. So I, that's why I said last night, get out there and see as much as you can prior to you making the start. And in the case of Chris Bassett, he had a chance to be there, as he said, pre-pandemic to where he got a chance to be at Fenway. He didn't pitch, but it's still a different, different animal when you step on that mound at Fenway Park and, and you look in and you're saying, it's just like in Field of Dreams when Kevin Costner said, I'm pitching to Shoeless Joe Jackson. You know, it's kind of that same feeling when you're at Fenway Park and you're on that mound, you're facing the Boston Red Sox at the venerable Fenway Park, you know, and Ted Williams played there and Yaz and all the greats played there and all the visiting players came through there. I mean, that stadium's been there forever. So you can imagine and know the number of players throughout the American League that have been there. I was in awe, and all I had was a beer and a lobster roll. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? And that's huh. why I said when our our family mentioned, and Nikki and her husband, Jim, and Matthew and Joseph went back for, I mean, the Freedom Trail, and, and they'd been listening and, and learning about the Freedom Trail. So when they went back, said, I remember this, I remember this. And, and then to get to go to Fenway Park and see the smiles on their faces in a packed house at Fenway, and it, it wasn't good for the A's, but great for the family to go back and enjoy that time. But, uh, you know, Nikki still talks about it and, and their family still talks about it. And but it, it's just a it's a great city just to go and visit. And then you get a chance to go to Fenway Park. Tony, I was told that that land is so valuable that they could sell the land where Fenway Park is and make enough money to build a brand new one paid for 100 percent you're looking at a billion plus dollars oh but oh, yeah. uh, you know the, the the value of that land is unbelievable but on the other hand you think about a tourist attraction and they had all these consecutive sellouts and i have some friends back there that i've, I've been in contact with and they tell me that as soon as the um, tickets open up they have the season ticket holders of course they get theirs but once the general mission opens up opens up for the for the tickets throughout the season People are in line for for days, standing in the snow and freezing, just to be able to buy tickets because they are limited. First of all, in, in the seats that they have available for like like the Yankees or different teams that come in, especially the Yankees because of the rivalry. But you think about the sale of tickets prior to the first game. So from the from the ownership standpoint, that's the best case scenario because you've sold your tickets regardless of how the team plays you've made your money. I mean, because you know tickets sold are there. I mean, if they have no shows, then they still they still paid their money to get in. 
So that's the beauty of season tickets, plus the general mission and having the sellouts. And, and you, I, I didn't hear it last night because uh, where we're broadcasting from, but I'm sure in the bottom of the eighth inning, Neil Diamond came out with his uh, sweet Caroline. I mean, people, it's it, 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 funny thing, Tony, when we would go into broadcast and it could be a blowout, the A's way ahead, nobody leaves until the bottom of the eighth inning is over so that they can sing Sweet Caroline and then they all leave, you know, because the game's over. But they, they stick around for that. So a lot of tradition, a lot of people, I mean, the parking's horrible around there. Uh, you, you have people walking into the stadium and, and uh, you know, walking from wherever, parking and going in. And, um, you know, they, they've really upgraded it. But I always said, um, prior to the John Henry group taking over, but you'd walk in through the kind of the concourse before the gates open and you could just smell the grease in those, in those places because, you know, they'd been cooking hot dogs on those grills forever. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just was such a wonderful smell. And it, you know, they, they put asphalt in in the walkways now and, and new grills or whatever, just not the same underneath, but in the field itself, that has not changed and never will. You know, you think about, you know, Wade Boggs peppering that monster over yep. and over and over, you know, 200 hits every year. For you as a right-handed hitter, because if you've never been to Fenway Park, one of the things you realize is the green monster really is not that far away. How much is it in your head as a right-handed hitter? Well, during branding practice, it definitely is in your head because you're trying to see how many you could hit over the thing. And in BP, you know, you can you can open up and you can pull and, and you know, hit them into the, uh, into the netting, which is now the green monster seats. But, you know, the funny thing, Tony, and I know last night we were talking on the broadcast, uh, I think Ken or Vince, one of the two, mentioned that the wind was blowing. And before they finished, I knew what they were going to say, blowing left to right. Now, Wade Boggs was smart enough as a hitter that he knew that in April, May, maybe sometime June, before the summer winds came in, that the wind always blew from the left field corner to the right field corner. So he said it's ridiculous to try to hit the ball that direction because the wind would knock it down. But once the summer came, the wind would change, and that's when he would take advantage of the green monster in left field. Now, on the other hand, remember how many batting titles he won? How many times did he stand at the plate and I said this also, I would see him take a fastball that looked like it's in the catcher's mitt and he had fouled it off because he knew it was a strike, but it's not a pitch that he was looking for. And he'd foul it in the seats to get another swing. And all of a sudden he's getting base hits galore or 200 hits every year, just because of his ability to foul off pitches that he couldn't drive, but yet he was able to foul them off to get another pitch. Now, when he went to New York and played for the Yankees, remember he's riding the horse, never been on a horse before after they won the world championship. You know, and he said, what am I doing on this horse? I've never been on a horse before. But, I, but he was playing with Don Mattingly. And he, he said to Mattingly, uh, obviously they didn't win because Mattingly never won, but, but he did say to him while I was hitting, he said, you took that 3-1 fastball, why? And he said, because maybe the 3-2 is better. And if you think about it, and you talk about being a good hitter, that you're willing to take a 3-1 fastball that maybe is not to your liking, and you take the 3-2 pitch as one you're looking for and you're able to hit it, that's pretty impressive. You know, both those guys were great hitters. Obviously, Boggs, a world champion and uh, a Hall of Famer, and his 3,000th hit was a home run. Remember he kissed home plate in Tampa when he finished up with the Rays and got his 3,000th hit? I mean, he never was a home run hitter. He could have hit a home run. But I'd see him at the Coliseum 
like Ichiro and Carney Lansford, different guys hitting the balls in the second decks. But when it came to hitting, it was more of line drives opposite field, et cetera. But coincidentally and, and unbelievably, Wade Boggs hit a home run for his 3,000th hit. And as he rounded the bases, got the home plate, got down on his knees and kissed home plate. I mean, that was pretty special. You think they'd shift against him? You know what? I don't think they, they shouldn't because <laughs> he's, smart, he's, he's smart enough to do exactly what you've always said. You shift to the right, over shift to the right, one to the left, hit a base at the left field. He would do that in a heartbeat because he could adjust his swing like the late Tony Gwynn. These guys hit inside out of pitch, and you know maybe at that time they had pitchers who could actually pitch into the shift, but you know pitchers can't really do it that now. And, and I see guys shifting. Like, what are you doing? Guys throwing ninety eight. You expect him to pull? And but but you know those those, those are other things. But the Wade Boggs, that part built for him. It was suited for him, and and he had a great career there. And and. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just probably everybody was shocked that he was traded the Yankees or ended up with the Yankees. You know, I asked Bob Melvin one time, I said, if they shifted against Ichiro, what would happen? <laughs> he goes, Ichiro would hit 800. That's right. No, you're exactly right. And there are some guys that are like that. And, and you know, Ichiro, and I've said it before, and I think it bears repeating, Ichiro was never a selfish ball player. He was always one to say at the beginning of the season, I want to win a world championship. And I'll do whatever I have to do to win a world championship. But if it seems like we're not, then I want my 200 hits. And look how many years in a row he got 200 hits. I mean, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. He could still play right now, you know, because I've never seen anybody as he aged got better. I mean, his, he stretched constantly. He was, he was always, I mean, taking batting practice every day, even on an off day, or, or renting the Tokyo Dome when he hadn't signed. Remember that? He rented the Tokyo Dome. So he could take batting practice. I mean, <laughs> I think the guy wanted to play. And uh, so the Mariners still have him there. And, uh, you know, very touching, obviously, for him to hang him up in Tokyo. And uh, what was it, Kikuchi, who was crying uh, as he came off the field. And yeah. So, you know, very, very special time uh, during that period of time. But, no, you, you know, the skipper's right about, about Ichiro because he was with them and they're still good friends. And uh, just watching Ichiro hit and how he can manipulate the baseball, pull it, hit the ball the opposite field. I mean, if you if you have the speed and the ability to put the ball and play like Ichiro did, and you look at the infielders and they're playing like it's a double play ground ball situation and there's nobody on base, they know that if they play back and a ground ball is hit and they are not able to get to it, he's got a base hit. He's got an infield hit. So they would cheat, which would open up even bigger holes for him to hit into and to the outfield just because they had to respect his speed and getting down the first baseline so, so quickly that, I mean, it, it, was, it was fun to watch it. You remember when he first came over from Japan and Lou Pinello was managing? And Lou said, who is this guy? He's got no power. <laughs> he was, I said, and people started. And so I think the next day, Ichiro hit a home run. But he, he said to him, I'm not that kind of a hitter. And sure enough, I mean, here he goes with hitting, you know, the base hits just, every year 200 plus hits and finally Lou realized who he had in each row and uh, you know at that point really respected him but I, I'll never forget Lou saying who is this guy he can't play yeah well he's proved he can play and you know just think Tony if he were able to start at the major leagues the way he played those years in Japan they would be talking about Ichiro Suzuki having the all-time hit record instead of a guy named Pete Rose just because of his ability 
to hit the ball and stay in shape the way he did. Yeah, he was uh, he was an amazing player. Let's end on yeah. this, Ray. Uh, a story today, MLB.com. The best fits for Trevor's story. The Rockies hmm. going to move him. One of those fits is the Oakland A's. And they talk about how uh, Oakland's farm system ranked 26th, not great, but Trevor Story's a rental player, so you're not going to have yep. to give up a ton to get him. Well, that that's what I was thinking immediately. And, and the, the thing that Troy uh, uh, Story has is the ability to hit the long ball. Now, I was just talking to Vince Controlling before we went on, and, and talking about Pender coming back and, you know, is he going to play – you know, the thing that Elvis Andrus does offer, got a, got a big hit last night, but if he doesn't hit anything, at least you know defensively he's solid. And if you have guys around you, Olsen, Chapman, uh, Laureano, guys that are hitting the ball, I'm just throwing out three names, but, I mean, there are obviously a lot of them. But, you know, I think there are times that you can forgive a guy if he's not hitting like you expected him to hit because he can play defense. Now, with Trevor Story, you know, it seems like, and having seen him as few times as we have, that he can play both sides of the baseball. Obviously, he's got power, power in Colorado. But I think what you said, he would be a rental player. And if, if that's the case, and it comes down to that point, what the A's can offer, what anybody's going to be able to offer for a rental player, and, and maybe the A's would be in that category. But, you know, to be honest, right now, I'm satisfied with Elvis Andrus catching the ball doing his job defensively, and if he comes through with a big hit every once in a while, that's great. But I don't think in today's world, even though you, you want every player to be an offensive player, you have to play defense. And especially if you're not scoring a lot, a lot of runs like the A's are not, you better be able to catch the ball, throw the ball, and not give extra outs. And that's one thing Elvis Andrus does do is play a solid shortstop. It would kind of be like when Billy Bean and David Forrest acquired Stephen Drew. Was that like 2012 yeah. or 2013? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere around in there. That would kind of be like that. Well, yeah, and it would be somebody just like you said, as a rental player. And so um, because he's, on a, he's, he's one of the top shortstops that's going to be a free agent. And if the Rockies aren't going to sign him, I don't know that a team that acquires him as a rental player, and especially a team like the A's, is going to commit long-term with a lot of money that he's going to command. I don't think he's going to be in the two to $300 million range, like maybe Tatis and, and uh, Lindor and guys like that are, by the way, did you see that the, the, the um, Padres have five going the COVID list, including Tatis and Hosmer. And uh, they had five players. They've got a double header schedule in, in Colorado. And, and they said, they're going to play the five players and five key players. Of course, the Houston Astros have the similar situation, but yeah, the, know, Yankees, the Yankees too. The Yankees have dealt with it. Yeah, but uh, but you know what, Trevor Story would would obviously, from offensive standpoint, would be a huge pickup. Uh, I ran into Trevor uh, Rosenthal downstairs on my way in, and he said he's ahead of schedule. And and you think of somebody who was who signed with the A's to be the closer, and now to see the success the ball club is having, I, I'd say that if there's a chance coming back sooner than later, it's going to be sooner. For Trevor Rosenthal. So it was good to see him and, and hear him say that he was ahead of schedule. And, and again, being a reliever slash closer, he doesn't have to build up his arm strength like a starting pitcher would every fifth day and get up back up to 100 pitches. So that was encouraging. But, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk 
um, especially with players that teams aren't going to resign or, or sign long-term and they're going to be made available. I think you're going to hear more and more of that as the summer progresses and teams that are in contention and see how that goes because uh, it's going to be fun. And, and let's just hope everybody can stay healthy from the A standpoint and they can continue to play the way they are. Ray, you're breaking news right now. What's that? You're like a newsman. Trevor Rosenthal is the head of schedule. I mean, that's big news because we've been thinking that uh, maybe August at some point, but if he's head of schedule, you could be talking July. Well, you know, I didn't, and I didn't ask him. He didn't commit as I was coming in downstairs to, to do, do the game. I see this guy and he was very cordial and said, hello. And I said, hi, I said, what's your name? And he said, Trevor. I went, okay. Is your last name? And then he said, Rosenthal. And, you know, introduce myself and start talking. And uh, I said, how you come along? He said, I'm ahead of schedule. He said he's lifting for his lower body. And so, you know, he said, I think he said he's going to start throwing. So, you know, that's just what I'm repeating, what he said uh, from, from that standpoint. So, and, and again, I, I think the biggest thing, Tony, if you're on the IL and you see the way this club is playing, you're saying, wow, I won't be a part of that. You know, I mean, medically, you're not going to come back ahead of schedule. But if something can in, can in uh, incite you to say, hey, yeah, I want to get back and be a part of this, you know, maybe that would help. But but again, let's not forget, medically, they're going to make sure that he's 100% before he comes back. But I was just encouraged to hear what he said because, hey, listen, a player knows his own body. And he told me that, and I'm just repeating what he said. We need to get you on Twitter. No. No, I'm I'm happy talking to you and Cody. I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> well, you, you already have your alter ego out there in fake Ray Fossey. And, and that's why I never want to disturb him because if I went on actually myself, who knows what the heck he would do. So let's just, <laughs> let's, let's just, just leave it at that, my friend. Leave hey, it at that, so. we, we have been trying to figure out for years who it is because it's somebody on the inside. I, yeah, I, I keep thinking it's you. <laughs> you know what, Ray? I, I'm just – I just couldn't be that committed. You know what I mean? He's committed. I'll say that. I have a hard time. I can't even get on my own Twitter account right now. I've been blocked. I mean, let alone being fake you. Well, well listen, the, the only thing I want people to realize that it is fake. It's not me. <laughs> it's fake. And, and fortunately, he prefaces everything by saying, I'm not Ray Fossey. I'm not since I'm all started and all that kind of stuff. And I said, thank you. Please, thank you. Because some of the stuff you're saying, God forbid I would ever be accused of saying that because, you know, first of all, that wouldn't be me. But, you know, I enjoy talking to you and Cody and, um, you know, talking baseball, and, and that's the most important thing. That's that's all I care about. Well, Ray, I'll be talking to you in about 15 minutes. Look forward to it, buddy. Take care. Cody, take care of yourself, buddy. See you, Ray. Bye-bye now. The great Ray Fossey right here on A's Cast Live. We have not been able to figure it out who fake Ray Fossey is. Dave Feldman has tried to figure out with Roxy Bernstein. See, I think it could be Dave Feldman. Yeah. Just got to track that IP address, find out where he's tweeting from. <laughs> I just, I, you know, they've asked, some people have thought it was me. And I just, as you know, Cody, that's just not something I would, I couldn't keep up with that. I, I got enough going on in my life to worry about being fake Ray Fossey. You can't even run your own Twitter account. <laughs> I can't even get on Twitter right now. Well, what's the deal with this? They they said they were going to send me an email on how to reset my password, and I've never gotten it. Well, well, I don't know. 
So hopefully, 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 get it back, uh, back up and running for you soon. Or I just start living my life without Twitter. Yeah, you move on. I mean, I lived my life without Facebook for about almost four years now. It's been the greatest thing of my life. I don't see what my parents post and what my family's up to. It's they have to call me, so I don't know what's going on. It's great. Yeah, I've I, I've basically been on Facebook for a long time. Best decision I've ever made. Yeah, I don't I don't my wife's on there and she puts stuff out there. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, so what do we got going here? So we're going to play the uh, the build with Dave Cavill, and then you're on at 310 for A's total access. What do we got tomorrow? Oh, we got we got the Hall of Famer tomorrow. Yeah, we're gonna, well, we're talking to him at 8 a.m., but uh, we'll play him tomorrow. Oh, we can do 6.30 in the yeah. morning? or Well, but we're, we're talking to Hall of Famer Peter Gammons tomorrow uh, about a lot of stuff. Uh, Billy Bean, the A's, the Red Sox, the state of the game. Sox. Yeah, so Peter Gammons. Well, well, Peter Gammons tomorrow, and then – uh, the GM, David Forrest, will be on with us tomorrow at 2.30. So, packed show tomorrow as well. Big show, big show, big show. All right, a great quick show today. Cody, you have a great rest of your day. And here's Dave Cavill. We'll be back in 10 minutes. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.